The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Game Podcast in is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Sports Ben Reach's platform for parlays, player props, and game ones. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit AJWebBets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Head to Cut.com, that's K-U-T-T.com, and use promo code SGPN to get a 10% deposit bonus and we're brought to you by the sgpn merch store get 15 percent off everything when you use the promo code playoffs and welcome everybody to the tennis gambling podcast here on the sports game podcast network it is currently tuesday afternoon january 16th number host always scott Rochelle once again going solo for this pod should be a fun episode because it is second round time of the australian open so we're going to preview the men's side for the second round, we're going to go through some specific matchups, kind of matchups that caught my eye. Not going to have enough time to go through all the matches, so we are going to pick and choose. But of course, we will be going through my personal favorites, either based on potential value or just based on intrigue with how competitive the matches should be. But either way, point is going to go through several matches here before wrapping up the show with lock and dog picks. But before we continue that, I do want to recap what happened in the first round, both from uh, some storylines as well as from our picks. Starting off with the lock and dog picks, ended up sweeping. We had Sinner to win 3-0 against Zanschulp as our lock at minus 144. That got there. Not exactly the easiest straight sets win, but still counts it nonetheless. The center did win 3-0. And for the dog, we had a two-pick parlay, which ended up winning officially last night, as we had Kaboli and Jari over three and a half sets parlayed with Shang Moneyline against McDonald, as Shang did win in five sets last night. And that ended up paying out at plus 166. So overall, nice sweep for us. I believe that was the first sweep we've had in the calendar year. Uh, so hopefully that's the first of many. But either way, point is a nice start to the Australian Open. Let's keep it rolling here for the second round. But I did say before I did want to mention some news stories. So starting off with some of the headlines from the first round, I have to start off with the Cinderella story that everyone's talking about, which is Nagal. Now, some of you might not know who this is, but he ended up making headlines yesterday, or I should say uh, Thursday morning. Because he ended up beating Bublik in straight sets. And you can argue on one hand, Bublik is a clown. And this is another example of that. Because he was putting on a show in one of the tune-up events leading up to the Australian Open. And then immediately got buried in straight sets. But Nagal's a great story. And to go through the Indian's journey uh, to this moment, he was basically out of money uh, about a year or so ago. As he was down to, or maybe that was September. I'm trying to remember the exact date. But he stated they had about $900 in his bank account because he was constantly traveling and the results weren't as good as he wanted them to be. That also leads to an overlying issue with uh, how much tennis players are paid if you are not a top 100 player in the world or so because there's a lot of tennis players in the challenger circuit ITF that are actually losing money by participating in the circuit because they have to pay for travel, pay for nutrition, and pay for coaching. So that's a whole separate story. I'm not going to really get into that. But the point is in the goal was a guy who's been around for a while, mostly a challenger level player, and he was down to about 900 bucks in his bank account. And then he went on a phenomenal dream run to the Australian Open as he ended up winning all the qualifying rounds and he got paid per qualifying round. So he was able to make a decent amount of money as he was able to beat uh, all three opponents in straight sets, including Mulcan 
in the final qualifying match. Then he beat Bublik in straight sets. Kind of a shock there. and Maybe not Bublik losing because we know he can lose to anybody. But straight sets was a bit surprising. But Nagal now, because he beat Bublik, has guaranteed himself $180,000 from this event. Now, I don't know for certain if that's Australian dollars or if that's American dollars. Either way, though, that's going to be very big for his bank account, so good for him, and he's going to try to advance to the third round over the next couple days. But I wanted to mention it because, on one hand, Nagal is the great Cinderella story. On the other hand, you're looking at Bublik, and once again, I've criticized Bublik for a long time on the show because he cares more about being an entertainer than an actual winner. But Bublik losing in the first round isn't as shocking as it should be, or at least maybe as casual tennis fans treat it, because we know Bublik's a head case, but props on Nagal winning in straight sets. I know against Mulcan in the final qualifying round, I believe he took a medical timeout while trying to serve it out uh, for the match. So it's nice to see him battling. Nice to see him kind of reviving his tennis future. And it's always nice to see Cinderella stories making deep runs or at least making a potential run in a Grand Slam event. I know one win in the main draw isn't exactly a huge run, but it could be the first of many. We'll see what happens. And most importantly, it's nice to hear some feel-good stories uh, in the tennis world, especially after what's going on with Zverev right now. Uh, so that officially, I believe, is going back to court, uh, his domestic abuse allegations. So Zverev has his own personal issues he's still dealing with, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know if it's civil court. It might be, but the point is we'll see what happens with Zverev as the uh, court proceedings take place. Besides that, though, I'm going to go through some quick uh, I'd say outcomes that kind of caught my eye, starting with the first day, uh, kind of a weird situation where the first round was three days, uh, but nothing really caught my eye that much with the first day. Rublev had a war against Seaboth Wild. Seaboth Wild's a good player, uh, but Rublev got the job done in a fifth set superbreaker. Besides that, Chilch did lose in the first round, won a set, but he's barely played any tennis, so not exactly a shock there. Shevchenko got buried by Munar, which was shocking based on the scoreline and how Shevchenko was playing, but you might remember in the last tune-up event, we did have him to beat Echeverry. That was a three-set war. He was taking some medical timeouts in the third set of that match, then lost in the next round, and it appears that he was probably still injured from that Echeverry war, and as a result, I wasn't as shocked as most uh, people that Shevchenko lost, but straight sets against Munar only winning seven games on hard court is pretty embarrassing, but Shevchenko definitely was not 100%, and it looked like it in the match. Besides that, uh, you had O'Connell beating Green in three in uh, five sets, but not exactly a shock there. I'm surprised it went five, but the point is O'Connell did get the job done. As for the Sunday matches, you saw uh, Wolf get injured after winning the first set, fell down two sets and a break, and he ended up retiring in the fourth set against Baez. Besides that, Fritz had a war against uh, Acosta Diaz, which was a pretty entertaining match where Fritz was down two sets to one. Uh, but either way, point is he did get the job done there. I, You know, I'm not a big fan of... Or sorry, Diaz Acosta, I flipped the names. Uh, but the, still, you get the point. Uh, you know, I'm not a big Fritz guy. I know he's a fringe top 10 player. I don't exactly think he's that amazing for a top 10 player. But he showed some resolve. Nice job beating Diaz Acosta in that five-set marathon. Galan beat Kubler in five, fifth-set Superbreaker. Fun match in general. Tough to actually find it, though, because it wasn't exactly on TV. Djokovic had a pretty entertaining first-round match against Prismic. Prismic, very talented young Croatian player, and Djokovic ended up having some troubles early, did lose the second set, and was down a break in the third. Then Djokovic woke up and killed him from that point forward. But the match was about four hours, so nice job by Prismic to put on a show. Djokovic advanced, but still... Definitely entertaining first-round match. Tiafo beat Chorich in four. 
Besides that, Gojo ended up dropping, and Gaston won as the last-second replacement as he was able to beat Baina in four sets. Our boy Caboli came through and won in five. We had the over uh, three-and-a-half sets in that match, and I simply put, was not a fan of the form that Jari was in. Uh, in the previous matches, I said he should have lost to Arnaldi, struggled in some matchups against like 400 or 300 ranked challengeable players, and I thought he was vulnerable. And Caboli got it done in five sets as he ended up winning as a plus 350 underdog. Pretty rough choke job by Jari there because he was serving it out for the match at 5-4, got broken. Then I believe a ball fell out of his pocket at some point in one of the... I think it was the 5-6 game. A ball fell out of his pocket mid-rally, and he ended up losing the point by default, and then he ended up not winning a point again. I think it was in the 5-6 game, which he eventually got broken for to lose the match. But Jari's a guy who has a lot of firepower, and he's got talent. But top 18, I, I just thought it was a little bit too much respect for him, and I do think that, once again, he's a bit more volatile than people want to admit. So Caboli, very talented Italian player, was able to get the job done for us and for himself. Nice upset win by him. Corda had a war against Capriva. Not exactly a shock because Corda, we know, is a clown. But he won the first two sets. Then I thought he might blow it, but he won in five. Besides that, you saw Medvedev actually lose the first set to Atmain. But then he kind of opened it up after that. And Atmain got injured and retired in the fourth set. Batista Good got killed by Shelton. Uh, Manorino ended up beating Warenka. Kind of a shame there. Warenka was up two sets to one, then had some type of fitness issue, and Manorino turned it on him and won the fifth set via bagel. Warenka couldn't move side to side, and Manorino just made him move side to side, and he won a bunch of points for free. But it's always upsetting to see Warenka at the end of his career and Warenka struggling physically in a match he could have won. Uh, besides that, though, Sitsipas dropped the first set and won the match in four. Had a crazy shot on a break point where he reached his racket over the net because of the backspin. And he had a winner, which I actually don't think I've ever seen before. So props to Sitsipas for hitting a crazy trick shot uh, after Berrettini ended up dropping. Shame about Berrettini, but I'm not surprised. He's had injury issues for years. His foot was bothering him, and he ended up dropping. Berg's put together a good effort, which kind of leads me to a segue. I don't want to spend that much time on it, but I think you should honestly be banned from main draw qualifying if you retire in a qualifying match. And Berg's somehow ended up in the main draw despite retiring in the final qualifying match, which I thought was kind of absurd. I feel like if you retire in the match, you should basically waive your ability to actually make it into the main draw. That's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. A guy quit in his match, whether it was because of injury or not. The point is Bergs was unfit to continue, quit mid-match, and somehow ended up in the main draw, which I think is kind of absurd. I think there should be some type of qualifier or some tiebreaker before the main draw of the a lucky loser determination, and you just decide, well, if you retired in qualifying at any point, you are exempt from actually making it to the main draw. Not really a rant, but I wanted to at least mention it, because Berg's getting injured in the final round of qualifying and still making it to the main draw, while their players did not, I think is kind of absurd, and I wanted to mention that. Uh, besides that, though, Kashanov ended up beating Altmaier in four. Very fun match, but Kashanov got it done, and Chapo got buried as he lost to Mensik in... Three, I like Mensik a lot. Made a decent run in the U.S. Open. Shapo has fallen off a cliff, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But definitely a bad showing by Shapo in the first round. Moving on, though, to the uh, Monday breakdown. Uh, yeah, Thompson won in five against Vukic. You saw Kovacevic beat Tabilo in five. 
the trend continues. Winners or people that make deep runs the weekend prior to a Grand Slam event tend to get their asses kicked in the first round because they're not exactly uh, able to physically recover from the deep run. And Tabilo ended up losing in five after winning his first ever ATP title. Besides that, Daniel also lost. So the two finalists in Auckland ended up losing in the first round. Draper ended up winning as he was a finalist in Adelaide. Barely won. I'm going to mention him in a second because he's a rematch against Tommy Paul. But the point is, a lot of guys who made deep runs over the weekend were really bad in Australian Open matches early on, and that's not exactly a shock. But I do think if I'm mentioning Warrenka before and how his career is basically over at this point, Andy Murray... Uh, might have to retire at some point soon because he's terrible, and it seems like the uh, ship has sailed on his career. I said that I didn't think he'd ever win another ATP event about a year or two ago. He hasn't, and he got absolutely curb-stomped by Echeverry in the first round. Echeverry has gotten better on hard court, but Murray losing 6-4-6-2-6-2 is just an absolute just gut punch to any of his fans and to Murray. And he said he was going to have a discussion with his family and his coaches over the next couple of weeks to decide what the next course of action is. This might be his final year. Now, as you know, if you listen to the show for a long time, Andy Murray is one of my least favorite tennis players of all time. I am not a fan of his at all. Now, personality-wise, I like him. I don't like him on the court. I just think that he whines too much, and I think that he's extremely annoying with the amount of yelling and the amount of temper tantrums that he throws. I don't enjoy watching him play tennis. Having said that, I recognize how important he's been for the game. I recognize how good he was, and I recognize how many grand slams he would have if Djokovic didn't exist. You can make the argument about a lot of people, but Murray always seemed to run into Djokovic when he was in great form. Lost a bunch of tough matches, Djokovic in the Australian Open, for example, and Murray did win several grand slams. Could have won more. But unfortunately, he grew up in or he ended up uh, reaching his prime in the golden era of competitive tennis, where he was just the fourth best player all the time. And that kind of sucks. But the point is, Murray might end up retiring at some point in the near future. We'll see. Am I going to miss him? Absolutely not. But I know some of you are Murray fans, and I wanted to mention it because it's always sad when you see some of the guys who you remember being in their prime go out rather sad. And it seems like Murray is going out sad. Now, speaking of going out sad, Rayonich got injured again, which sucks because he's been injured for the last couple of years. Came back at the end of last year, looked pretty good, but he did end up getting injured in the middle of the third set against Dimenauer. Was actually tied a set apiece. So he was looking decent early. Then it seems like the conditions got to him and his fitness was an issue. But Rayonich retiring in a match is never fun. Uh, besides that, you had a five-set marathon between Moore and Grenier. So a good five-set winner there by Grenier. Uh, you had Ichikata losing in a superbreaker to Struff in a good match. Dominic Team once again going out sad as he lost in five to Felix. Very fun match. Uh, you couldn't really tell who was going to win that match throughout, but Team tried to come back from two sets down and eventually lost in the fifth and besides that, uh, Mickelson won in four against McCabe. Our boy Safulin blew a two sets to nothing lead as he lost to Greekspor in five. Uh, Dimitrov lost a set to Fuksovics, but he won in four. Uh, besides that, Giron ended up losing a marathon match against Draper. I'll mention that in the matchup against Tommy Paul that's upcoming for Draper. Physically just a grueling match for both players, and Draper was puking at the end of that match, so we'll see what happens physically for him. And you had Shang, or boy, ended up cashing the parlay by winning in five sets against McDonald. Also, Rune ended up beating Nishioka in four. I know the recap is taking a bit of a long time, but there were a lot of matches, and I want to be thorough on some of the 
uh, main matches that kind of caught my eye. Kokonakis finally won a marathon match. Good for him, as he beat Offner in a superbreaker into the fifth set. You saw Zverev lose the first set to Kop, uh, to Kempfer and then ended up winning in four. Sonigo and Evans had a fun match. Sonigo won in four, and Alcaraz beat Gasquet in three. Gasquet also might retire. We'll see what happens. First set was fun, and then Alcaraz killed him because Gasquet had nothing left in the tank. But the point is, a lot of fun matches, not many upsets per se. Uh, Jari was one of the only ranked players that actually lost outright, but the point is you might see, and Bublik as well, but the point is you are going to see more upsets coming up, but overall pretty fun set of first-round matches. Now it's time to get into the actual preview for the second round. I can't think of any other news stories that are worth talking about. I already mentioned the Zverev court case. I already mentioned Nagal being the Cinderella story. Uh, don't really have much else to talk about. Uh, Nadal is going to be tennis's ambassador for Saudi Arabia. So once again, we'll see if there is going to be some type of merger, or how that's going to work out, a buyout maybe. But that might be in the future plans for the landscape of tennis. Not really much else to add. We're brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is the official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, and it is bringing you a great offer to help make the playoffs more electrifying. New customers can bet $5 in any game and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Maybe you want to look at some big spreads, maybe with the dog. Maybe you want to take Green Bay. Maybe you want to look at the Texans, some talented young quarterbacks there. Point is, though, if you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code SGP, New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 Seven nine seven seven seven, or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bits expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gambling resources. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer -peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Peer-to-peer -peer social betting is a new and better way to bet. Bet directly against your friends or other users on sports, politics, pop culture, and other events with verifiable outcomes, plus a ton of fun social features that give it a feel of a betting social network. Cut also offers lower, vague, and fully customizable odds. You can create your own bets. Cut handles the payment side of things. You never have to actually worry about that and chase anybody down for money, and they have great social features like group chats, betting leaderboards, head-to-head -head history, user profiles, fan groups, and more. And they have good rewards, too. Get cash back every single time you place a bet against your friends or other users. Remember that Cut is the peer-to-peer -peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Head to Cut.com, that's Cut, K-U-T-T.com, and use promo code SGPN for a 10% deposit bonus. But anyway, time to actually get into some of the matches. We're going to start off with, once again, not picking every match, but a couple that caught my eye. Uh, you have a matchup between, we'll start off with Kovacevic against Kashanov, which I think is kind of interesting. Now, uh, Kashanov is a big favorite, as he should be, as Kashanov is around minus 650 on the money line. Kovacevic is plus one, as a plus 475. As for the game spread, Kashanov is minus five and a half games at minus 110. Kovacevic is plus five and a half games at minus 110. Over under is set at 37 and a half. 
And if you want to go for some set wagering, you can find Kashanov to win in straight sets is plus 115. Kovacevic to win a set is minus 145. Manage to go four sets is minus 130. So just to go through the first round, uh, you end up seeing Kovacevic go to five sets. He was able to beat Tabilo, who was in great form, long winning streak, so that's a good win for him. Uh, you're looking at uh, Kashanov, who had a marathon against Altmaier. Altmaier was also in great form uh, before he got injured in the uh, event right before the Australian Open, but he was in good form, and that was a good win for Kashanov. But the point is, I do think Kovacevic can make it interesting at times. Am I picking him to win? No. I think Kashanov's too good for him. But do I think he can win a set? Yeah, I think that's possible. I think you're looking at what should be a fun matchup between two players that can hit the ball pretty hard, and I do think you might end up seeing a pretty entertaining a uh, couple sets here of tennis. I don't mind the plus five and a half here for Kovacevic. I do think that once again, Kashanov will win. I think you might see a breaker, maybe two, but I do think you're going to see a couple longer sets, maybe four sets. So I don't mind the uh, dog here at plus five and a half games on the spread. I'd lean to the over because I would probably anticipate four sets, but I do think once again, Kashanov's going to win. And I think Kovacevic will have some moments, but not enough of them to actually win and pull off this upset. Moving on. To the next match I want to talk about, you have a matchup between... Uh, we're going to go with Dimenauer and Arnaldi in this one. Uh, so Dimenauer is also a big favorite as he is around minus 500, give or take. If you shop around, though, you can find minus 475. Arnaldi's plus 385. Uh, for the game spread, you have Dimenauer at minus 6 and minus 110. Arnaldi plus 6 is minus 110. Over-unders at 36 and a half games. Over is minus 114. Under is at minus 106. If you want Dimenauer to win in straight sets, that's currently available at plus 140. Arnaldi to win a set is minus 170. Match to go to four or five sets, or in other words, the over three and a half sets is minus 145. Simply put, I do think that Dimenauer is going to win, but I think Arnaldi is good enough to win a set, and I do think that Dimenauer, who looked pretty vulnerable actually in the first round against Rayonich, I know Rayonich is a very difficult player to play against because he takes the racket out of your hand because his serve is that good, even after all the injuries. And Dimenauer did lose in a first set breaker, but Arnaldi looked really good in the first round. Beat Walton. I know Walton isn't exactly a good Australian player, but the point is Arnaldi's been in good form, and he tends to go to a couple of marathon matches. Uh, so I do think you're looking at what should be a pretty entertaining matchup between two young players. I think Dimenauer wins with the home crowd behind him, though I think Arnaldi leaves empty-handed. No, I think he leaves with a set at least. Give me the over in games and give me the over three and a half sets here at minus 145. Uh, moving on to some other matches here. Uh, looking at the actual card, a fun match between Monfi and Echeverry, uh, which should be interesting. Monfi is a slight favorite as Monfi is currently at minus 160. Arnold, uh, not Arnaldi, sorry. Echeverry is plus 140. As for the game spread, you have two and a half games. Monfi's favorite at minus 110, and you're looking at Echeverry plus two and a half games is minus 110 as well. Over-under for games is 40, uh, flat. The over is minus 111, and the under is available at minus 109. For set wagering, the over three and a half sets is minus 220. The under is plus 180. And if you want to get wild and bet the match to go to five sets, you can get that at plus 210. Now, for this matchup, they've never faced off in the head-to-head, Monfi in the first round looked pretty good. Beat Hoffman in straight sets. Hoffman was in decent form, so that's a pretty good win for him. Uh, besides that, though, Echeverria said before buried uh, Murray. Now, you can argue that Murray is on 
I don't want to say death's door of his career, uh, but it feels that way, where he's going to retire at some point over the next couple of months, or maybe at the end of 2024, but still a good win nonetheless. Murray is always a tricky player to play against early in Grand Slams, and Echeverry had no issues at all. I think that Echeverry is actually alive to win this, and I do think that even though Monfi, you can argue, is the better player, do I still trust Monfi's fitness in four or five set matches? Not really. I think Echeverry has been no stranger to long matches. He's had a bunch of them recently, usually on the wrong side of them. But I do think that there's value at plus 140 here. I do like the over in the match, but of course, it's going to be tricky to find value with because the sets are at like minus 220 for for four or five sets and the games at 40. So I think for the sake of this matchup, I'm going to lean to Echeverry at plus 140. I see a very close match, very even. And I do wonder with Monfi's questionable shot selection at times, or maybe just his lack of proper stamina. Echeverry, I do think, can outlast Monfi if this turns into an absolute marathon. And I do like that, I'd say, quality from an underdog if you are getting plus money. So give me the plus 140 on Echeverry to outlast Monfi in what should be a very, very close matchup on paper. Besides that, you're looking at O'Connell taking on Shelton. Shelton is a big favorite here, as Shelton is currently available at around minus 420 on the money line. Uh, You have O'Connell at plus 340. As for the games, you have Shelton at minus 5. O'Connell is plus 5. And the over-under in games is at minus 113 to the over. Unders minus 107 at 38.5. And And if you do want to take some set wagering, you can get Shelton to win in straight sets at plus 145. O'Connell to win a set is at minus 175. Match to go four sets is or I should say over three and a half sets is minus 140. Managed to go five is plus 275. Now, Shelton dominated against the Goot, another guy from the old guard who might be retiring shortly. But O'Connell did have a war in the first round, ended up outlasting Green in a five. So that was a very fun match. Shelton, I do think, should win this match. But do I think that the home crowd is going to help O'Connell at various points in this match? Possibly. And we know Shelton is definitely no stranger to unforced errors and to self-inflicted wounds. I do think O'Connell has the firepower to really, I don't want to say match Shelton, but at least keep it close. I like the over for sets here. I think three and a half is too low. And I do think it might come down to a breaker. So hopefully O'Connell's on the right side of it. But three and a half does feel a little bit uh, cheap at minus 140 based on Shelton's issues of a rally intolerance, and I do think O'Connell can potentially uh, make Shelton get impatient, which can work to his benefit. So give me O'Connell in front of the home crowd to win a set, and I will take the over three and a half sets there at minus 140. Besides that, are there any dogs that I'm really tempted by on the first day? I mean, I think Hallis has a shot against Corda, but that's mostly because I think is a lunatic. So I do think that you're looking at Corda maybe being on upset alert. We'll see what happens there. Um, Rosen, has a fun match against Sarundolo. I think that Sarundolo might be live uh, in that matchup. I know Sarundolo was in really bad form uh, leading up to the Australian Open as he ended up losing to Moore, lost to team, did win in five against Sweeney, so maybe that is going to be the wake-up call he needs. Morozan, though, has been in better form, but he did end up going to four against Chilich, which was a good win for him. Yeah, on second thought, maybe I'm against uh, taking that underdog pick because I do think Sarandolo's form is questionable, and maybe he's going to be in a bit of a war in this match, but based on the current form, I think Sarandolo might be less alive than I thought he was. Uh, I think the Van Osh match would be interesting against Musetti. 
Uh, just looking at how that match should play out, I don't think that's going to be a straight set win. I think they'll probably go to four or five. So if you want to take a flyer with Van Asch, then maybe he can outlast Musetti. Musetti's also a bit of a choker, so that could be interesting over the course of that five-setter, but still, or those five sets. Uh, but I think you're looking at what could be a pretty close match there. Uh, moving on, though, to the early Wednesday morning, as well as the Wednesday match, Wednesday night matches, uh, you have Eubanks taking on Rublev. Now, Rublev is a big favorite. Do I think Eubanks has a chance? No. I don't think Eubanks is that good. I've said it before. I think he's a good commentator. I think he's very good in the booth. Uh, but I think that as an overall tennis player, he's pretty one-dimensional. He's a very good server. Killed Taro Daniel in the first round. Daniel might have been exhausted from that deep final run he made in Auckland. But either way, Daniel didn't have the ability to actually break Eubanks that often. And Eubanks had the firepower to hit past Daniel. Uh, Rublev has been good in general. Didn't win a title in Hong Kong. Went to five against Seabolt Wild. But I'm not really going to give much of a chance there to Eubanks. So I'm really not going to break down much of that match. Interesting matchup, though, between Sissipas and Thompson. Uh, to go through that matchup, though, Sissipas is a big favorite of minus 550. Thompson is plus 425. As for set wagering, you can find Sissipas to win in straight sets at a, my, at a plus 140. Thompson to win a set is minus 160. Over three and a half sets is minus 145. And if you do want to go with the games, you can get Sissipas... Uh, minus five and a half games is at minus 110. Thompson plus five and a half games is minus 110, and the over-under is at 37 and a half, minus 110 on both sides. Now, Sissipas did lose the first set to Bergs and then ended up winning comfortably in the final three sets. Thompson had a marathon as he went up against a fellow Aussie in a pretty fun matchup as he ended up uh, winning in five against Vukic. Uh, in the head-to-head, -head, though, Thompson has given Sissipas some issues. They faced off in Washington in 2019. Sissipas did win in straight sets, but there was a tiebreaker in the second set. Faced off in Wimbledon, and Sissipas did win in three, and faced off in Indian Wells last year, and Thompson did win 7-6, 4-6, 7-6. So Thompson has given Sissipas some problems. I don't mind the over in sets here. Sissipas, I think, is going to win, if I had to guess, probably four. This might be a decent spot, by the way, to go to last year's signature dog prop, which was lose first set win match. I can see Sitsipas losing the first set here. He has been a bit of a slow starter, and we saw him lose the first set to Bergs. I do think Thompson might ride the momentum of the home crowd early before things kind of waver over the course of the match. But to go through the actual odds here uh, for the first set and the match, Thompson to win the first set and Sitsipas to win the match is plus 550, which I do think is pretty appealing. So I think that I'm going to go with that as my main lean. I'm going to go with Sitsipas to lose the first set and win the match at plus 550. I like the value and the fact that Thompson did win uh, with two tie breaks in Indian Wells tells me that the sets were close. Could have gone either way, but Thompson definitely has the game to make Sitsipas work for it. Give me that fun prop, but I will lean to the over three and a half sets as well. Uh, besides that, you have Djokovic taking on Papyron. Speaking of Aussies, as Djokovic is a big favorite, obviously. Uh, you saw Djokovic struggle in the first round against Prismic, uh, mostly with the first serve. The percentage was really not there, but eventually he wore down Prismic as the match went on. Djokovic is a massive favorite. Minus eight and a half games is plus 105. Plus eight and a half games for Papyron is a minus 125. As for the actual... Uh, total games, 29.5. The overs minus 116. Unders minus 104. Djokovic to win in straight sets is a minus 280. So I guess the question is, do I think Papyron can actually win a set? Probably not. Now, 
Djokovic, I didn't think he played that badly against Prismich. It just seemed like Prismich was really up for the task, and Prismich is a very, very talented player. Now, Papyron is a head case as well. Not as bad as other players on the tour, but he definitely can get impatient, and he gets in his own head a lot in his matches. They face off one time in their careers. Djokovic beat him in Tokyo back in 2019, though. But that was 6-4, 6-2. Uh, Papyron won in three sets against Pullman's. Pullman's not very good, uh, but the point is a win nonetheless for him. Djokovic, I do think, should cover... Th- I think he should win this match easily. I just think Papyron is going to hit too many unforced errors. And I think Djokovic, once again, people are going to panic saying, oh, he's got a wrist issue, and he went to four sets against Prismich. Truth is, I really, once again, did not think Djokovic was that bad. He did get a little bit, uh, I'd say... I don't want to say shell-shocked, but it looked like Prismich kind of surprised him with his overall consistency, and Djokovic had to weather that storm before taking over. But I see a pretty similar story here, where Papyrin might have a decent showing early, but once Djokovic gets ahead, I think it's going to snowball on Papyrin. I just think that mentally, he's going to roll over and die. So for me, give me Djokovic with the under uh, for the games here. I know 29.5 isn't ideal. I probably would prefer 30.5 at a juiced under, but I do think you're probably going to see a 6-3 in there, couple six fours. I don't really see a breaker or a seven five. I think Papyron might give it a solid run in the first set. Maybe it'll be three three, something like that. But once Djokovic gets ahead on the score line, I think it's going to go south for Papyron very quickly. So give me the under 29 and a half games in that match. Uh, moving on to the next match, you have what should be a really, really fun matchup between Dimitrov and Kokonakis. Now, Dimitrov did lose a set to Fuksovic, so no shame in that. When healthy, Fuksovic is a very good player. Uh, D- Dimitrov, though, is a big favorite at minus 719. Uh, Kokonakis is plus 519. As for the games, you have uh, Dimitrov minus 6 at minus 106, and you have Kokonakis at plus 6 at minus 114. You have the over-under for games at 36.5. The over is minus 108. The under is minus 112. And if you want to go for the set wagering, Dimitrov is going to be around eh, close to about even money, a little bit of plus money if you want him to win in straight sets. Now, Kokonakis had a marathon against Offner in the first round. Dimitrov took over after the first set against Fuksovics. They never faced off in the head-to-head. You know that I'm not a big Kokonakis guy. Kokonakis is a guy that I feel like has been hyped up for a while, but he's got a talent. He's got a good forehand, not really a very mentally tough player, which is why it seems like he chokes all the time. But he had a nice win. It looked like he was potentially going to choke it against Offner, but he held on in 110-8 in the Super Breaker. Dimitrov, though, is a much better player, and Dimitrov is in great form based on how he did in Brisbane right before the Australian Open. I think Dimitrov probably wins comfortably. I know a lot of people were expecting a marathon match. I don't really see it that way. I actually think Dimitrov might win in straight sets. I'm going to lead to Dimitrov. I just think he's too fundamentally sound for Kokonakis to handle. I think that he will pick on the Kokonakis backhand, and I do think that Dimitrov's overall attacking uh, mindset that he's kind of implemented recently is going to really keep Kokonakis on the back foot, and I think Kokonakis will blink a couple of times with the first serve percentage, which should help Dimitrov win. So I'm actually expecting an anticlimactic match there where I'm going to lean to Dimitrov to win that one comfortably against Kokonakis. Moving on to what should be a fun match, you have Fees taking on Greek Spore, as Fees is a slight favorite. Fees is currently available at, sorry, just pulling up the line, minus 155. You have Greek Spore at uh, plus 135. And the game spread, Fees minus 2.5 games is minus 110. Greek Spore plus 2.5 games is minus 110. Over under for the game's total is at 40.5. The over and under at minus 110. Match to go to 
to go a match over three and a half sets is minus 205. And if you want the match to go to five, you can get that at plus 200. They faced off one time in their careers. Fees did win. Uh, that was a five-set marathon last year in the U.S. Open. I see a similar script here. Give me a war between these players. I am going to lean to Greek Spore based on the value, but I do think that the over is worth a look. Uh, once again, they faced off in the last grand slam and it went to five sets. I see a pretty similar story here. Give me the over in what should be a fun match. I think that Umber and Shang should be fun too. I think Zhang might be live in that match, but I think that's going to be a fun one. So I would lean to the over and I would lean to Zhang in that one. Uh, besides that, I think Mensik and her catch is actually very fun. Uh, you might see a, a couple tiebreakers in there, so I maybe wouldn't mind an over in that match. But I think her catch will win, but it might be a bit more interesting than you might think it's going to be. Kikmanovic against Struff is pretty fun. Uh, Kikmanovic is a favorite despite being 0-2 in the head-to-head. So I do think that was a while ago, though, two meetings in 2019. Uh, but Kikmanovic has been in good form. Struff had a war in the first round against Hichikata. I don't mind Kikmanovic in that spot. Uh, I do want to mention the Paul and Draper match. Uh, you're looking at Paul being a favorite. Now, he is 0-2 lifetime against Draper. We saw them face off in one of the events leading up to the Australian Open, and we got killed with Tommy Paul because he got buried in straight sets. As for the actual price, though, Paul is at minus 145. Draper is at plus 125. As for the games, Paul minus 1 is minus 110. Draper plus 1 is minus 110. Over-under in games at 39.5. The overs are minus 112. The under is minus 108. Now, Paul burned us in this exact same matchup about a week ago, but I really like Tommy Paul here, and it's not going to be a revenge angle. It's not going to be, you know, trying to uh, convince myself the first one was a fluke. It wasn't. But watching Draper struggle physically against Giron in the first round, I think he might retire in this match. Now, Draper had a very weird handshake moment against Giron where he won the final two sets 6-0, 6-2. And you figure, okay, he won the final two sets 6-0, 6-2, so Giron's probably injured, and you're assuming Draper's going to be exhausted, he'll shake hands, he'll you know grimace a bit, sit on the chair, and then he'll make his way and get out of the court. But instead, Draper walked to the court, or walked to the net, I should say, for the handshake, hunched over, waiting for Giron to show up. He shook his hand and immediately sprinted to the garbage can and puked. Now, Draper had a very deep run in Adelaide, lost in the final in three sets to Laheshka. I mentioned it several times. His fitness and his durability are the one thing holding him back. I think Draper is a very good player, could be a top 30 guy, but durability has not been there for him. And the fact that he was puking in the first round after a five-set match while Paul coasted past Barreri, it's a phenomenal spot. Now, I know the argument is this is the same exact thing that happened last time because I took... I faded Draper off a three-set marathon against Ignatovich because Paul coasted the round prior, and then they came back to bite me. You're not wrong, but Draper puking after a handshake in the first round tells me that he's definitely going to be up against it physically, and I do think Paul might take him to deep waters. So I actually like Paul quite a bit in this matchup. I think it's going to be anticlimactic. I think Draper might retire mid-match. So I am going to take the money one. I'm not going to take the spread because I do think Draper might quit. So keep that in mind, but give me Paul. Once again, most books have... Moneyline bets counting if one full set is completed. I think Draper's going to try. If it goes poorly, he might quit to save his energy for future events. But give me Paul in that one to get revenge at minus 145. Uh, moving on to some other matchups, you have Sunigo taking on Alcaraz, which should be fun. Sunigo's actually 1-0 in the head-to-head as he was able to beat Alcaraz in Cincinnati back in 2021. Sunigo had a fun four-set win against Evans 
uh, Alcaraz had one fun set against Gasquet, and then he killed him. But I think that Sonigo can make it interesting. I'm not picking him to win. I'm picking Alcaraz, obviously. But it should be a fun match. That might be a match that's worth watching, but I'm not picking the upset. I do think if you want to talk about a matchup that could be interesting, Rusevori is taking on Medvedev. Now, Rusevori is currently 0-2 in the head-to-head against Medvedev. Uh, both lop- both losses were somewhat lopsided. Uh, Brusevori did win in the first round against Kipson in four. Medvedev did lose the first set to Atmain, though. So maybe you can argue Rusevori has the game to make life interesting for Medvedev. I'm not picking Medvedev to lose the match, but I think that Rusevori can make it interesting. Maybe win a set, but I think that's basically it. Uh, besides that, not really much else. I think Laheshka is going to kill Mickelson. Nagal against Shang is pretty fun. I think that probably goes four or five, and that should be a pretty fun match there. Might not be on TV, but that could be one that you might be tuned into, either for the Cinderella angle, or maybe you just like Shang. But should be fun. I think I basically covered most of the matches I wanted to, though. That's going to wrap it up. But before we officially end the show, do want to talk about our Lock and Dog picks right, right after we have a word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL. NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up with the promo code SGPN, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger betting smarter at the end of all season with Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL NBA, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets average at bets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store. 15% off everything in the store from now until the end of the month. Promo code PLAYOFFS. We're competing against other shows for a bonus. So once again, if you do like the tennis podcast, I'd recommend buying some merch. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the second-round matches in the Australian Open on the men's side. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I think I am going to do it to myself because I like punishment. I am going to go with the Paul Moneyline against Draper at minus 145. Now, once again, I'm going to give a disclaimer. Read your house rules and make sure if you bet this, you get paid out if one full set is completed. The last thing you want is to fade an injured player who retires mid-match and you knew was potentially going to happen and your book voids it. So once again, read the house rules. Make sure whichever book you place this on will credit you the win if Draper gets injured and quits after the first set. That's why I'm going to take it, though. I have access to books like that, and I'm going to try to capitalize on it. Now, I know this exact same matchup killed us about a week ago. I get it. Having said that, when you shake hands with somebody after a five-hour match and immediately puke your brains out and you end up falling on the chair and collapsing, basically on your chair for a couple minutes before you get up and leave, I'm going to fade you. Because you're playing in the harsh climate of Australia, and it's going to be hot out there. And we know Tommy Paul won easily, as he won in straight sets in the first round. It's a pretty similar spot to what we saw in 
of the match about a week ago where Draper killed him, except for the fact that three out of five compared to two out of three is a totally different animal. And I do think Paul will be able to capitalize on a very compromised Draper, even if Draper is able to get some early success with the amount of shots he's probably going to need per point because Paul is able to keep the ball in play. I just have too many doubts about Draper's stamina and about Draper's fitness. So I do think minus 145 is a very good price. It will not be there closer to match time. I expect a lot of people to slam Paul based on everything I just said, uh, because I do think a lot of people, maybe syndicates, might consider a sharp action uh, to take Paul, fading an injured player. And I do think it's pretty telling that Paul, despite losing to Draper about a week and change ago, is still a favorite in this match, and the price actually grown. It's at minus 145. Some books have minus 155 already. So the point is it's not going to be there for that much longer. I'm going to take it now before it moves. So give me Paul, minus 145 on the money line as my lock. For my dog, I'm going to go with another parlay because I had fun with it the first time. I am going to go with the over three and a half sets in two separate matches. I'm going to go with the Thieves and Greek Spore match. I'm going to go with the over three and a half sets at minus 220, and I am going to go with the over three and a half sets in the Monfi and Echeverry match, and that's a minus 225, and that two-pick does pay out at plus 110. So to go through the actual logic behind both picks, Fees and Greek Spore, simply put, we saw them face off in the U.S. Open last year, went five sets. Both players are no strangers to go into five sets. We saw Greek Spore go to five against Safoon in the first round. Fees is a good player, but there's a little bit of dips in his game uh, in various matches, so he might have a great start to a match, then he'll take a set off, and then he'll wake up again. But the point is, he really doesn't sustain the same level of energy and focus uh, in every single set, which can result in seeing him drop a set or two. But Greek Spore, I know, has the game to potentially win the match in general, but I do think you're going to end up seeing what should be a fun Potential five-set match, so as a result, I am going to go with the over three-and-a-half sets here because I think you're going to end up seeing a marathon. As for the other matchup between Munfi and Echeverry, simply put, I just think it's a pretty even matchup, and I think when you're looking at how I expect this match to play out, I think Munfi is going to have some moments, Echeverry will have some moments too, but I do think at the end of the day, three-and-a-half sets, there's, re there's a reason why it's juiced and there's a reason why uh, they're expecting it. It's because Echeverry has been in good form on hardcore recently. He's been involved in a lot of marathon matches. And Monfils is no stranger to that as well. I can't mention dips in sets with Fees when Monfils is sitting right there. And he's the exact same way he always has been. And coincidentally, they're both French. And they both have Fees in their name. Uh, but you're looking at uh, this match here. I see a potential five-setter in both these cases. So because of that, I am going to go with the over. Uh, three and a half sets in this one as well. So once again, my lock and all picks of the show, the lock is going to be on Tommy Paul, money line against Draper at minus 145. Once again, check the house rules. Make sure that you will get paid out if Draper does retire mid-match. And for my dog, give me a two-pick parlay. Give me fees and Greek sport over three and a half sets parlayed with Monfi and Echeverry over three and a half sets. And that pays out at plus 110. We'll back once again in a couple days to go through round three of the Australian Open. Until then, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NBA show. Find me on the NFL show and a bunch of other podcasts in the network. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.